everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where our guest today is Dr. Ken Kemper. Dr. Kemper is the president of Grace Christian University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's also a cohort of mine for my doctoral program, and you are going to love hearing what he has to say about paying the price of leadership. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership. And today, I am so excited to have Dr. Ken Kemper as my guest today on the podcast. A little bit about Ken. Ken is the president of Grace Christian University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He and his wife, Kathy, are parents to three talented grown children who, along with their spouses, are ministry leaders around the states and internationally. Dr. Kemper is a visionary leader who inspires growth and action based on character and transcendent principles. Mm, that's tremendous. Dr. Kemper was also also one of my beloved cohorts in my doctoral program at Lancaster Bible College. So Ken, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And every time I get to see Dr. Tracy Jones, it's a wonderful thing because we knew each other before all of that hard work, sweat and tears, and maybe a little bit of blood and whatever it took. And so it's great to see you and thank you for having me today. Thank you, doctor. It's a privilege to be interviewing a doctor, isn't that? And Ken, did you know that PhD stands for piled high and deep? I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I've heard that one too. So we have to be careful. I never knew that. So for our, for our viewers out there and for also our leaders who are considering, I think Ken and I both went back to school because we wanted the terminal degree. We wanted to know everything there is about leadership. And for those of you that are, are thinking about going back to school, Ken, would you recommend it? Absolutely. The journey is worth the progress more than the initials, more than the certificate, mm. the like-mindedness of other people who want to better themselves. I think we would both say that. I have two faculty members presently pursuing a degree at the same institution. And as Dr. Jones said, terminal is sometimes feels more than just a term. <laughs> I it's remember that. Work. I know. I tell people I'm terminal and they're like, really? And I'm like, oh yeah, you go into this. Pro but I'll tell you what. So I, I love that you said that because I couldn't agree more. And people are like, why are you getting that? And I'm like, you'll see when you get into it. It's just it, what you become as a result, not who you become, but what you become. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to touch on the price of leadership, which was my father's most given speech. And my father was very pragmatic. And that's why people were drawn to him because he talked about the joy of leadership, but he also talked about really the price you got to pay. And it is gut-wrenching, and you're going to get your nose and your knuckles bloodied, but it is ultimately worth it, just like the PhD. For all those times we sat in class and we're just like, oh, and worried about comps and defense, in the end, it's worth it. And that is leadership, too. So, Ken, one of the things that he talks about in The Price of Leadership is loneliness. And he talks about how a lot of times the leader is the one that's going to set the way and pave the way. We've all heard this, it's lonely at the top. And sometimes there's a lag between you seeing it and when others see it. Can you describe for me as a leader what loneliness in your leadership journey means, how you process it, and some words you would give for our leaders that are listening? Yeah, that's such an important point when people talk about this loneliness. And I've talked to other leaders who said, I never experienced that. And I go, wow. <laughs> um, 
where were you? I'm thinking that one of the tips I would give, and this may not apply to your situation, is when you're a new leader and you find yourself moving into a leadership position where you know everybody's looking to you and the responsibility comes your way, you come with a new eyes and a new vision of what you see that no one who is already in it. Mm-hmm. They walk into the building, they walk into their office, they walk into the processes and they don't realize that everything they see around them has become normal. But to the new leader, it's the first perception. And you hear this about churches and pastors that says a new broom sweeps clean. Yes, It's so true that if you see, oh you God. must ask the questions to understand and you, then you must take action I did that at Grace Christian University before it was called that. And it was very lonely immediately because everybody's processes were now upset. And I was the one saying, it can't do this. We can't move forward if this is the, uh, uh, the way that we're going to go forward. And I remember going home and telling my wife, why did I step into this leadership? This is terrible. Nobody likes me. And I ran to my board of directors and said, I've examined. I think this is exactly what we need to do. It's scary, but I'm going to courageously take the steps. And I, and I think your father does a good job of talking about the courage. The, cur- the loneliness is a result of the courage to actually look around and see no one's doing it. And he says that well in his, in, in his book about the price of leadership. No one's doing it, so I'm going to do it. That's what a leader is. And it's the willingness to do that. And so I had people in my very first year say, I've never served with a courageous leader like you. And I said to myself, that's not about me. That's about the other leaders who have failed to make the actions happen when they should have been taking action. So I took action. It was lonely. It was difficult. But I was really uh, comforted by Dr. Henry Cloud. You may know of his work. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Necessary Endings, one of my favorite books that I give away all the time, where he says, nothing can start new unless something ends. You can't just start new things because you have to stop something. Mm -hmm. And I took great comfort in, we're going to stop doing this. Sometimes that was employees. Sometimes that was process. We stopped this so we could start. And he talks about the courage it takes to do that. And I just took good solace in that. And it was very lonely. But everything that has ever happened from that point on has been, I've got to be courageous enough to realize it's not in great leadership or tremendous leadership, I should say, that you are fearless, but you're willing to live with the consequences of the right decisions. People say it's a fearless decision. No, it's a right decision, but you fearlessly make it knowing this is going to have consequences and I'm willing to endure it because I want to be able to look back and say it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, the other part of that, Tracy, you and I both heard is people go back with this hindsight is 2020 and they're going, was that the right decision? And a wise person once told me, with the right people around the table, discussing as thorough as we can and understanding and making a decision that you have to depend on to say, we did what was absolutely best at the time and we continue to go forward and we do it again in the future and we repeatedly do that. So then it becomes a principle of execution. You know, and one of my favorite quotes is, uh, when you think of George Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. And I go, you're the story of my leadership. I haven't got all the facts and I always got somebody over there dying from paralysis of analysis saying, do we know 100%? No, but we've got to move. And uh, I think both uh, of us share a real love for Ronald Reagan. We've had those conversations in the past. And I love his decision. It says, after hearing all of the information, we make a decision. We don't mm-hmm. take a vote or take a survey. We make mm-hmm. a decision. He mm-hmm. was known for that decisiveness and respected for it. So I think 
Uh, that's the loneliness part. Those lead to loneliness, but yet I take that loneliness and that right decision path any day as a, as a great principle of leadership. I love that. I'm going to call you General Kemper from now on. I didn't know. <laughs> no, and that's don't. one of our life-changing classics, that patent quote on decision-making. It doesn't get any better than that. And you know how I feel about Henry Cloud. Oh, I just love that necessary yeah. endings. For our listeners, if you haven't got it, got it. Because as a leader, you're going to have to make some unpopular decisions. If you're not, and I, I too can, when somebody would be like, well, I've never really felt loneliness. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, I don't, I don't know how to, <laughs> nothing bad has ever happened to me. And I'm like, are you on the same planet? Well, yeah, sure, really. If you don't step out and if you've always inherited organizations that have been perfect, but then I have to say, do you really know what's going on then? Because as much as I go into every organ, everybody's organization, they're like, our people are perfect. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I can tell just by sitting there and talking for five minutes that there's, there's stuff going on. I can tell you can see it, but Ken, you brought up about the no one can see it. And, and you and I have both gone into organizations to change things. And so we get to come in with, we're the new brooms, but what do you see? I see a lot of leaders. I fall prey to this because I've been in my position now for 12 years and I work with other leaders where you are unaware of, of your leadership blind spots mm -hmm. and you start, you lose that ability to put yourself as a lonely leader again, because you've built this team around you and a good team. But I, I, I was dealing with somebody the other day and, and I think your point is so valid because if you eventually as a leader aren't at certain times stepping away from the pack and saying, look, I know this is where we are going, but this is where we're gonna go now. Otherwise, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, I don't remember who it was that, um came up with the concept of the Johari window, my blind spots, yours blind spots. I can see what I can see. You can see what I can see. I can see. But then there's that spot that none of us see. Right. It's so true. Who do we then right. bring into our fold to say, we've got to look at. So I have got a practice. I was going to answer this a little bit later with one of the other um, uh, prices that you pay mm -hmm. is that I have to have some leaders around me who are outside of organization. You know, everyone wants to do a SWOT analysis. And I go, I'll only do a SWOT analysis if I can identify the strengths and weaknesses internally. But then I've got to get the opportunities and threats by someone who's not here listening to our self-talk and our group yes. think all the time who can say bluntly to me, uh, I don't think you guys know what's going on out there because outside your doors, there's this and that. So I think that's one of the things that I've started Brilliant. to really do when this COVID hit. I called business leaders who are heads of businesses, but I knew they are Christians like I am. So they say, well, at least I'm going to have the same perspective for a Christian right. organization like me. Say, if you were me right now, what would be the most important thing to you? Tracy, I was blown away how they redirected my thought process to say, you know, in my business, Ken, I can't talk. I was in the middle of crafting. It's 2020. So I'm going to craft a 2025 vision. Every one of those business leaders who I respected stopped me and said, your people can't handle just what's beyond this you've got to make a one-year vision and you've got to make a critical path step by step that helps them to walk out of the the anxiety that they're feeling now in all areas whether it's the covid crisis it's the mental anxiety which they already had mm -hmm. or it's the social or psychological emotional part of the race relations and i sat i said everybody said the same thing either i'm stupid and i'm still going to do it my way or i'm going to listen so I think your father says it really well right at the beginning of his book about humility mm. coming into the process saying, I don't know. And you said it well, I'm blind. Please help me to know what I'm not seeing. And please take my chair, make the decisions for me today. What would you do? Right. And then then act accordingly. So that's a great question you made. Uh, oh, thank you. And you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. And for leaders out there too, if you're courageous and you're humble, um, 
don't worry if you are lonely, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. And so I just can't emphasize enough because you are going to see it before everybody else sees it. That's part of being the leader. And so um, you just have to have faith, like you said, knowing when to bring certain people in the fold for the next step. But I love that you brought people outside because, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing we struggle with as leaders because look, we have PhDs. Not that we know everything, but we know more than your average squirrel out there running around. And so, but then you can start going, yeah, but I know this, but oh my gosh, you know, we get so, so thick headed and, and the scales start going right over our eyes, no matter how hard we try. So I love that, that you have people coming in to um, let you know, hey, there's self-imposed loneliness. And then there's this kind of loneliness that, that's the courageous thing. Yeah. And there's one other thing that I want to mention, because you, you mentioned it about you go in an organization, they've never felt it. They've never done that. There's a natural tendency, whether it's in our temperament, our personality, and our giftings, where we really would like people to like the leader. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> now, both you and I are fans of Patrick Lencioni, and he writes in his book called The Advantage, a great line, and he just almost on the side says, religious nonprofits especially struggle with this. And it's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek comment about being nice versus kind. He says, we're so nice. So I think those who have never felt aloneness is because they're so nice. Everybody's happy in our organization and they keep everybody nice. And I love it. The way he distinguishes, he says, sometimes we try to be so nice that we're very unkind. Right. We don't deal with things because we're nice and we just kind of shove them under and we never get better. It right. never becomes nice. And I have used that term again and again, quoting somebody smarter than me, Patrick Lencioni, and said, guys, we can't afford to be so nice that we're unkind. We've got mm -hmm. to deal with people. And as Henry Cloud would say, release them to go pursue their wonderful life somewhere else because it's not happening here mm -hmm. and allow this to happen. That's the nice thing to do rather than us to be frustrated, you to be frustrated and things aren't going forward. So that courageous point says, this isn't working. And Henry Cloud said it this way, how am I going to do something today in this conversation that will help us not to be talking about this six months from now? Oh my gosh, yes. There's a change. We right. can't do it. And how many organizations, how many times have we been talking about this at a board level or a leadership team is like, because nobody was willing to courageously make the move. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So the next price he talks about is weariness. Mm. We know a thing or two about weariness. And my dad always talks about, Hey, if you're paying the price, there's going to be some people that, that, that do way more, some people that do less. How do you stay refreshed? I mean, you did allude to a lot of it. If you've got people that aren't seeing the vision and actually kind of rowing in reverse, um, you know, kind of addressing that because there's, there's healthy weariness and then there's you, you know, that kind of weariness, that, that devilish weariness where there's something going on in the organization that is draining the resources. So what, what does weariness mean to you, both the good weariness and the bad weariness? And, and what advice would you have for leaders out there? Well, I think the way even you asked the question, Dr. Jones, is so good because good weariness, bad weariness, I am a person who loves to play hard, work hard. And my wife says I sleep hard because it's within 60 seconds that I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> And so I'm okay with that type of worry. So I wake up refreshed and, I'm, and I hit the ground running, shouting, whatever she says is too loud. And uh, the reality is, how do we understand ourselves? And there's a lot of good stuff written about our emotional intelligence, what charges our batteries and our temperament, which does that. You know, that person loves to go out and work in the yard or play hard or do something, knowing it recharges my batteries. Other people need the quiet. But none of us have an excuse in leadership 
realizing that we are ultimately are responsible, that we don't work hard and therefore it just makes us weary. And I love the way you asked that. That's a normal good weariness. I want to come to the end of the day, you know, walk away from the office. It's never done, but I walk home and go, that was a long, hard day. But boy, does it feel good. I have executed the responsibilities that I've been given and things are going to be better tomorrow and they're probably going to be hard tomorrow, but that's a good weariness. So I've found in my life that that weariness is just fine as long as I have these cadence or routines mm. of daily energizing my life. And so for me, I start up and I have a real quiet time in the morning when mm -hmm. nobody's up, I get up. And I was just reading even today in my scriptures in the book of Mark, how Jesus Christ gets up early while it's still dark to be alone. I thought, Jesus needs quiet. He needs to recharge. Well, then I certainly need it. So I mean, it's just quiet. And I'm thinking about my day and then I pull out my calendar and I walk through that and I verbally think through how will I walk through things I do today, including today, I'm going to have a podcast. Am I ready for that? What needs to be communicated? And so that, that cadence of continually having a routine that is uh, charging, because I've met with other leaders who go gun ho but they always call me in a week or two, they need a vacation, they need a few days off because they don't measure that and they don't take it as if it's a long run they want to sprint and, and die and sprint and die you can just see that they run around and they're probably laying on their couch and they're telling me all the time you're exhausting me and i'm going no i think you worded it well there's a weariness that's good don't let that weariness become the emotional psychological weariness so now you're no good to anybody your organization right. your spouse your family your friends so we need to have those routines i i like that word cadence because it says it it's like clockwork it ticks it comes up it refreshes my mind, my body, my soul to exercise. Those things help me with the weariness because you said it correctly. We all face the weariness. So for me, it is about a pace, pacing yourself. I love that. I love that. That case. And you know, one of the things, even watching these podcasts for the last month and a half, I was always a night owl. And I'm like, well, I'll work out at 11. I'll, I'll read till two in the morning. And it's like, no, no, no. After all you guys talk about getting up early, I'm like, no. Now, I don't get up when it's still dark. That was my military days. But I get up way earlier now. And that first hour is my devotionals and, and reading in the word. And then the next hour is working out. Then it's done. Then I can hit the day. So, I mean, I, I think that schedule has just really helped me too. Um, and I know you Sabbath. So, I mean, that was one of the things they taught us in school and you've probably done that a lot longer, but I love that, that cadence and, and getting that in there. Otherwise you're just, you're hot. You're, the sprint is, is, not, is not good for the long run. I love that mm -hmm. analogy. Yeah, that's really true. And, and the longer you practice that, the easier that is. The exactly. Easier that is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the next one he talked about is abandonment. And we think, oh, abandonment, but you kind of alluded to it with change in Henry Cloud. For something new to happen, something has to die. And that's tough because even if it's a bad thing, we're kind of resistant to change. But he talks about, my father says with abandonment, we need to give up what we like and want to think about or Ken, what you've been told, like and want to hear as leaders that confirms our bias in favor of what we need and ought to think about. So how do you, I look at this as really focus. How do you really dial, dial in your abandonment? How do you know? Because again, as Christians, well, if God brought it into my realm, it must be something good that I should pursue, right? Isn't that what we always think? Yeah. But how, yeah. do you, how do you, that leads to mission, mission drift, mission creep, all that stuff. So tell me about abandonment and what that means to you. Well, I love the way you use the word focus because that's such a good one. Uh, I think it's uh, Andy Stanley who said 
whatever you give your attention to will determine your direction in this mm. book. I said, that's mm, so mm, good. Mm, what mm, am mm, I looking mm. at? It determines, I start m gradually moving towards it. He gives the illustration okay. of someone driving a car. You look way down the road. If you look this way, what happens? You actually start to move and make a lane change okay. the longer okay. you look at the car next to you. So your attention determines, and of course your direction determines destiny. We all know that. That's how you mm -hmm. get it. You get these habits. So um, that whole idea, and I like the term you use called focus is that, my natural bent, if we go back to what we started with, in humility says, what's best for the organization? Why has God put me in this place to begin with and gifted me with the gifts I had? I recently had a conversation about that with someone said, why are we looking to you to give this vision for this department? You know, we're going to, I said, I didn't ask for this job, but they put me here. I didn't ask for these gifts and I'm a visionary leader. And now I'm supposed to use them. If I'm going to be responsible for being a good steward of myself, I need to do that. What's your job and what's yours? He went, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good explanation. Let's move forward. But the focus is that we can just fall prey to whatever feeds our own ego and what mm. sounds good. So we heard it over and over and we've said it that, and tremendous leadership does a good job of it. Readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. What do I need to have coming in? Cause my natural selfish bend says entertain me. And we live in a world where everybody's just being entertained by whatever. And I think about this COVID happened. I heard these comments right away. What are you going to binge watch? It's, well, I'm going to confess, and this is not being critical of anybody else, but I've never binge watched anything. How do I get those hours back? So what right. can we do that actually helps us to continue to grow and go forward? What new books could we read? And I love your dad's quote again and again, what determines the difference of people you meet and the books that you read. So I have an agenda to read. When I talk to other leaders, what are you reading? Mm -hmm. when I talk mm -hmm. to my own team, what are you reading? We read books together as well. It's like we have to be reading. So it's avoiding the mindless entertainment and i'm okay right. with entertainment right I'll turn on the dumbest movie i can find when i really want to relax because that's the best for me so i don't have to actually engage and figure out a plot i don't want a plot i've been plotting all day long every day now i want to say that's funny and move right. forward right. so i think your word focus is such a good a good word so we're focused on how we spend our time we're investing time and even when i'm relaxing when i'm playing with kids because i like to play i'm a big kid with little kids, I always think that's good use of my time. Somebody is mm -hmm. going to be changed today and tomorrow because you gave them your full attention. Absolutely. So that, that to me, uh, the abandonment is there. there is value in the time at the end of the day rather than we just went through it. Well, and, and just like you said, when we went back to school for the PhD, we had to abandon certain things that we had in our life before because you can't do it all. You got to let go of certain things and, and, and make the time for that. So I love that. All right. And how, so last, and how many oh. have you, how many have you reclaimed? Because when I abandoned some of those things, I learned to live without them and said, Not, I thought it was important, but now I want to study and read more. How about you? Right. They were completely non-value added. And, and that's so good because if you really, at the end of the day, wonder why you aren't successful, do like, pretend you're like a, a, bill, a billable hours lawyer. Write down every moment of every day, <laughs> how much did you really invest in your future and how much was just, you know, contributing to your failure? Because if it's just passive and stuff like that, then absolutely it, it, it's not going to make the cut. So thank you for that. That's a good comment. I like that. Yeah. Billable hours. Send yourself a billable hours. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Netflix, same. you actually lose money watching that, you know, for, for gross extended periods of time. All right. So last one is vision. Okay. And we all know that where there is no vision that people perish. My dad said that vision was not like a Steve Jobs or an Oprah type thing. It's simply see what needs to be done and doing it. 
So how do you gain, I look at vision as really clarity. How do you grow in vision, Ken? I know you've alluded to a lot of different things, but how do you cast it? How do you know what's next? Because you have clearly pointed out, as well as I do, the leader we were yesterday is different than who we are today and who we're going to be tomorrow. So how do you stay malleable enough, but yet fixed on that end goal? And I like the way you said that um, even how I develop vision for my particular organization that I lead right now <clears throat> is different than how I did it 10, 15 years ago. And some of the loneliness or weariness that I experienced early on most because I was bold enough to start speaking a vision. So what I'll do now is I'll bring other leaders in, uh -huh. talk about the dynamic, what's going on, whether it's a SWOT analysis or whatever, what's happening in the world, what's happening in higher ed, what are the global issues, what does it take to get a job in America? I'm trying to think what is happening in youth trends and technology, all these things we're studying and then we're going, all right, so what is our vision? How do we respond to that? And I like how you say that, just doing the right thing at the right time, what's most important right now? And then here's what always happens now, but I know my team counts on me for this, is that we're all kind of sitting around thinking this suit and I need to say something. So okay. as the leader, I become the initiator. I said, how about, and this happened in the year 2009, we had become a student body of 200 people. We've been praying for five years to get 200 students. And I said, how about by the year 2016, five years from now, we become a biblical university of a thousand students or more with a graduate program, an online program, and an on-campus program. And they went, could that happen? I think it could, what do you think? And then they started to shape that. So now every time we, we chart vision, they expect that I'm going to say something and they can move it, they can do it, but somebody has to have the boldness and that's my job as a leader. So I speak okay. it, it gets shaped, then we own it together. So that vision part, I know that if I don't speak vision, nobody's gonna speak vision. Oh. And they also know that my vision will be vetted by people that I count on as those external leaders, I'll bounce it off them, my board leaders, I'll bounce it, and other leaders are people I can call. I know that I can call Dr. Tracy Jones and say, here's my situation. I'm thinking this is what God wants us to do for leadership in the future. And what do you think? And my openness to, they could critique it. And if four out of five people go, you're crazy. You can't do that. I'm not going to go, oh, I'm just bold enough. It's going to happen. I'm the next Steve Jobs. I'm going to say, all right, I think this is a bad answer. Let's be humble enough to regroup and formulate the next one and go back to those same people again, because they're trusted leaders and they're good people. So it goes back to that humility again. So that humility and boldness sounds like Jim Collins. Good to great, doesn't it? It's this mm -hmm. passionate humility of the level five leader who's able to go ahead and push it through and uh, allows that vision to be shaped because the vision that's unshaped, sometimes, it's, have you ever heard these visions where three-fifths of it was actually good, but they didn't allow those people to shape it enough where it could have been a good vision, so it fails. Wow. I love that. Speak it, shape it, vet it, and own it. Oh, that's good. Man, I love that. And I, lo I love that as leaders, I, and I think, you know, you know, studying followership, we, we have these co-leaders and we still want, but, but they're my team members. But I love how you still, even if we have the greatest second in command in the whole world, we still as leaders need to speak it and set the, the guide on barrier out to where we're going. And I love that because I think sometimes in the world of, well, we're all in this together and we co-lead and we're all together. Yeah, I get the whole collective thing, but, you, but I love that boldness and just, you gotta speak it because otherwise they still are waiting for you. Even the greatest of the greatest followers are still waiting for you to tell them, this is what we're doing. And I like the way you said that. They hear their thoughts when I speak it. Yeah. I don't beautiful. preempt them because if I preempt them, they can, be, they can shut down. So the analysis, 
So this person goes, but do we know enough to say that? I'm okay with that. I go, I know enough to say that. And then I carry them along. But the Beautiful. person who wants to add data to it, I, if I speak it too early, I shut them down. So yeah. I think you said that really well, that I initiate the language coming out of my mouth. There's a quietness. We start to pray about it. We start to yeah. think about that. Yeah. And I like the way um, wisdom and discernment, James chapter five, you know, he who lacks chapter one, verse five, who lacks wisdom, pray to God who gives it generously or Proverbs 1a, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. We've got to have wisdom and discernment. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, prayed for wisdom. So that wisdom has a lot to do with our emotional intelligence. Now we've got to talk about cultural intelligence. It's the fact that there's people around us that God's put here. Far be it from us to actually ignore what's right in front of us. It could be our greatest asset and find that we end up with a battle. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right, Ken. So can you tell me anything else leadership wise? Cause you have unpacked a tremendous amount of great insights. I love that. Carry them along. Just absolutely beautiful. Anything else for our leaders that we haven't touched on that you would just like to share either to exhort them or just encourage them or just share some, some uh, truth and love with them. Well, I would like to make sure I mention cause I've quoted him already. Um, I think Patrick Lencioni's last book, the motive, for anybody who's in a CEO position, I've been sharing it uh, repeatedly. And he okay. has a quote in there where he talks about people want to ascribe to be a leader. <clears throat> he says, that's like an NFL football player ascribing to be drafted as they're in game. Their whole goal is to get drafted and get a contract. They never have to play a good game. They don't play a good game. Their goal was to simply make it. I said, your goal is not to be the CEO. If you're going to become a CEO, it's so that you can lead an organization and be God's instrument uh, answerable to people to actually do something. So here's his quote. He said, leadership is meant to be a joyfully difficult and selfless responsibility. Right. I could never have said it that well. I am the most responsible person on it. Not that I do the most, not that I do that. But when I go to bed at night or when an issue comes up, I'm responsible to answer that. It works its way up to me eventually. Right. Um, even the credit sometimes comes to me when I don't deserve it. But I love that. I have a responsibility, and that to me is such a biblical term of stewardship, that when I'm put in a place by God Almighty to lead, I answer absolutely to him of how I handle that stewardship. And when at some point I'm not handling well, I certainly am then more than willing to say, I want to handle the stewardship off. It's not about me. It's about this responsibility that's going to be here when I go. It was here when I came. And how do I steward it well? And how do I make sure that I am that person with humility, that serves in my spot. If I get promoted, fine. If I stay here, fine. If someone else needs to move on, I've only got a short time. Let's do it so that we become lonely. We become weary. We are uh, abandoning ourselves to doing the best we can do. And then let's, let's finish it with vision that says beyond where I'm at in vision, I'm a visionary leader. I'm going to have vision for my family. My wife and I retire in Pennsylvania someplace in the mountains somewhere. I don't Beautiful. know where it is. But uh, have a big hound dog and actually enjoy ourselves. But that always continues to be there as we're refreshed and have that wisdom. So hopefully that's uh, encouraging to you and encouraging to our leaders that we are placed in a place where we serve and we enjoy it because we know that we have an opportunity and it's absolutely worth the cost of it. I love it. I love it. And Ken, you, what you talked about, Patrick Lanciani, that was the biggest thing that I learned from the doctoral program, that mm -hmm. there's a world of difference between being a leader and engaging in leadership. 
And you're like, how did you not know that? I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, for 25 years, I was a leader. I'm not not sure how well I engaged in leadership, but I think once you realize that you get what leadership is about and you stop looking at everybody else as far as why stuff hasn't happened and realize it's you, it's you as a leader. And yeah, once you get good followers, but you still gotta, you gotta own it. Yeah, I mean, you have a question uh, that you sent me about the growing pains of growing in leadership and that nice versus kind dealing with behavioral issues always and often and upfront all of a sudden starts to change a culture where everybody starts to do it we we use the terminology here about thinking above the line and below the line it's somebody's job it's somebody's i see something even if it's a piece of trash i pick it up uh-huh. somebody asks me a question doesn't matter who you are i'll walk them to a building and show them i mean they do it at home depot why can't i do it at grace christian universe and then i walk them over and i said thank you some nice man helped me as they go to the next person that guy he's the president of the institution well, it's our culture. Everybody does it who's on campus. But uh, you, to, to your point, it's that walking through to build a culture by deliberate action mm-hmm. every day that helps right. us to be able to make an organization different. And yes, we do make it after our own kind. And, and yet that's when the, the joy of seeing it operate on its own almost remotely. I can go on vacation and come back. I know how people are going to act because we have become practiced at it. And that I'm telling you for listeners out there, that's when you know you're engaging in leadership, when you can step away and and not that we're we're all needed. I mean, if you weren't needed, I hope you're not on the payroll. Some people say, well, I just, well, if you're drawing the payroll, you should still be there doing something. But uh, the beauty is then you, you as a leader, these people have, they know how to run the ship without you while you go away and recharge. I love that, Ken. Awesome. All right. So Dr. Kemper, how do people stay in touch with you and connect and hear about your tremendous university and everything else going on in your life? Well, you can easily find us on the uh, internet, Grace Christian University, and that's under gracechristian.edu. And certainly that is uh, where all the links are. So there you can find, I blog once in a while, and uh, my Twitter feed, uh, our Facebook feed. Uh, God is doing some cool things. The trauma of the world today is really refining for our values. And mm. it's different at Grace Christian University. It makes us say, what are we about? Why do we exist? And how do we do this well? And what's our response to it? So yeah, find us there and certainly see how we're battling through it just like everybody else. I love it, Ken. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for being a part of this today, for what you've taught me, for just the influence you've been in my life and, and, and just um, for all our leaders that have gained so much from hearing your insights. Thank you, Dr. Tracy Jones. I'm so proud of you finishing your PhD and leading tremendous leadership. We always welcome you at Grace Christian University. Thank you thank- so much. Thank you, brother. I hope to be out there. And after I saw you march across that stage, I said, I got to follow a Dr. Ken Kemper's steps. So to our tremendous leaders, listeners out there, be blessed, be encouraged. Uh, and, and I hope these words that you heard from Dr. Kemper really encourage you to pay the price of leadership. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.